I'm Eric. And I'm Lauren. We've both volunteered for progressive political causes. And we're both nerds. Growing up, Shira was one of my favorite shows. I've never seen it before. Catching it on Netflix again recently, it struck me how modern the show still feels. Even though it's definitely a product of its time. We're interested in the ways She-Ra presents a modern progressive message. And the ways in which it fails. Join us each week as we dive deep into a different She-Ra story. Always with an eye on how it relates to the present. We're only doing episodes from the first season, so you can follow along on Netflix. But we'll also recap the episodes so you don't have to. We'd love to hear your feedback on everything we're discussing. So please, enjoy this political, nerdy dive into a heck of a cartoon. This This is is She-Ra, Progressive Progressive of Power. Hey everybody, welcome once again to She-Ra Progressive of Power, your favorite podcast where we talk about She-Ra and politics, not like all those other podcasts that talk about She-Ra and politics. Your favorite one of those, your, yeah, of that sprawling so, genre. It's all, it's its own page on iTunes now, I don't, I'm sorry, Apple Podcasts. God, that's so pretentious, by the way. Let's call it Apple Podcasts. That just makes it harder for people to find. Like, if they're not super tech savvy, that's way more confusing. Anyway, this is not a tech podcast. This is a podcast about She-Ra and politics. Uh, Something politically happened to both of us today, Lauren. What happened? Uh, Our candidate, Amaya Pawar. uh, I'm guessing this might be the first time we actually say his name on the podcast. We've always just sort of winked and nudged. We were trying to be coy, but there's no point now. He is no longer in the race for Illinois governor, and it's a sad day uh, in general, I think, for Illinois politics because I'm very disheartened by what that says about the stranglehold that money has on our state's legislation. But it's also sad for me and Eric personally because that is how we really started working with one another. Yeah, now we can't be friends anymore. That's weird. Uh, that's So that's the end of the podcast forever. <laughs> Bye, everybody. We're not talking about anything this week. No, it, it's a bummer, though. And like it just I mean, guess what? If you're rich, you can buy a party nomination. It seems I mean, I'm going to be backing BIS now, but let's see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I can hear the saltiness in your voice, and I'm equally salty. This is a pretty fresh wound. By the time this thing airs, it's going to be old news, but we're very sad today. Yeah, but the good thing is people won't be like Poirhu because he definitely has a career ahead of him. He's a young, dynamic Chicago politician. Yeah, bef- do something. before we started recording, we were talking about the fact that he went and got his 10,000 signatures before backing out. And I have some complicated feelings about that because we know a lot of the volunteer team who were putting a lot of effort, like with their whole hearts into getting that guy on the ballot. Uh, and he probably already knew he wasn't going to continue. But if he didn't get the signatures, then we would just be in a situation where everyone would wonder forever, like, oh, maybe he couldn't even get on the ballot. At least now we know that the people had spoken, but it's 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 still money. You know, Pritzker is, got, owns like a million buildings. <laughs> yeah, I think he's buying like advertising space on this podcast or something. Oh, no, shoot. He's, uh, no. Say it ain't so. It's not so, but he is everywhere in Illinois. Uh, it is a little disheartening. That's okay. Doesn't he have... No, I'm thinking of Oberweiss. Is like the <laughs> other, I was going to say, doesn't he have ice cream? Pritzker's no. ice cream? No, that's not a thing. This, not yet. Give it time. <laughs> Give it time. Something else kind of a bummer happened to me today, which is... So I used to be a retail manager. Uh, used to be. 
I don't know if that news is going to be public by the time this show comes out. Ooh, anyway, spoiler alert. Uh, but someone drove a van through my old store this morning, which is really a bummer, and it was really hard to look at those pictures. Everything's fine. It was an accident. They actually like cleaned and reset in six hours, and the only thing that was lost was our game demo library. And uh, the puzzles that I was always against carrying, like, puzzles with, like, sexy wizards on them. My boss thought that was a really good idea. <laughs> I'm like, Alan, no. So that's not a loss. Um, Someone but- hated the sexy wizard puzzles so much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would, like, hide them in the stock room, and then he would get mad that they weren't out. I'm like, I got no room. I'm sorry. Um, but the thing that got destroyed that really bums me out is I worked really hard on building a lounge area in the store um, in, like, the upper right corner of the store where like parents and and significant others and people could chill when they weren't playing games and that was the part that got completely demolished so that's so sad my husband and i have many happy memories of that store he goes up there uh to play x-wing and armada all the time and was that where he won the regional championship? It brag, was. Brag, It was. My husband, what a savant. Uh, yeah. Anyway. He's good at X-Wing miniatures. That's a great game, by the way. Yeah. they. He just He's starting a podcast, too. I don't know if it's going to be launched by now, but it's called Bizarre Mata. And it's just him and his friend Peter running like weird alt armada rules that That's they made up. That's <laughs> fun. It's, it, it, we're running a, a, a race for who can make the nichiest, most unpopular podcast there is. Oh, this is going to blow up as soon as uh, as soon as the Masters Universe movie hits that probably won't even have She-Ra in it. Oh, man. We're going to blow up. Anyway, uh, speaking of talk. the actual Masters of the Universe franchise, Eric. Yeah. So today uh, we're doing the episode Huntara, which is a fan favorite and a creator favorite. Is it? it is all right yeah uh so <laughs> huntara basically hordak is tired of his force captains being dummies so he contracts out a galactic bounty hunter to come get Shira. but this bounty hunter doesn't really know anything about the horde or the rebellion so hordak employs the old tactic fake news and creates fake videos to show huntara that Shira and the rebels are evil and hordak is a hero and so this this muscly purple warrior woman uh, captures Glimmer to get at Shira. The two have a fight. Uh, at the end of the fight, Huntara realizes Shira is so noble and sacrifices so much for her friend. Hordak must have lied, but unfortunately, then Catra and Scorpia are ready to capture all of them. Takes him to the fright zone, but of course, the Horde aren't a match for Shira and this amazing bounty hunter woman. So they bust out of the fright zone. Huntara goes on her way. Basically end of episode, right? I didn't miss much. It's a pretty straightforward episode. Yeah, it's pretty cut and dry. Um, but you might have noticed that we're talking about this with the sub subtopic of race. And we'll get to that in a moment. But first, I think we have some other ground to cover. Yes, uh, we have another special guest today who's been very patient as Eric and I just blah, 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 blah. Uh, her name is Donziana Moon. She is from Chicago, obviously, because we put out the call for people willing to talk to us about assimilation, which was our last episode with Christina, and race. So, Don, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your story and what brings you here? Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so I'm a belly dancer. I'm the founder and director of Rocks Geek, which is a nerd-themed belly dance and fire performance company that's based here in Chicago and has gotten notoriety a little bit all over the world. We got some notoriety in the UK, which was pretty cool. Um, and I'm oftentimes with that a belly dancing wookie, so that's fun. 
I think, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people have seen that video on YouTube. I've watched it a million times. I also spin fire. So I do that with Roxy. Can I also do that with a circus company and perform with some other belly dance groups and uh, occasionally put out essays, uh, personal essays usually, or cultural critique. And I'm a singer songwriter. I've been playing music pretty much my entire life and have played in, I think, 30 cities at this point and have wow. two albums out. And a multi-talented person. Yeah, well, by day, I'm also a UX designer and front-end web developer because that wasn't enough to do. Yeah, I was going to say, geez, <laughs> going for some kind of EGOT over here. <laughs> That's really impressive. You seem like a great person to talk to about this episode. I always ask, and Lauren pointed this out pre-recording, what is your um, experience with She-Ra prior to joining us here today? I loved She-Ra as a kid. Actually, one of my, my earliest memories was, so I was born in Singapore. And She-Ra made it all the way over to Singapore. Wow, I didn't know that. It did. So I have this memory of being really young. So I must have been younger than five years old because we were still living in Singapore and hadn't moved to the U.S. yet. And I had this She-Ra toy who had, you know, really long, beautiful Barbie hair. And then my brother, who was a jerk, cut <gasps> She-Ra's hair. Brother. No. <laughs> That's horrible. And I never forgave him. So... I, I've been a fan of Shira for a long time, but I hadn't actually watched it ever as an adult. It was one of those things that kind of stayed in childhood. And a lot of times when you go back and watch these things as an adult, they're a little horrifying and it's better to leave it uh, in your memory. Uh, so Thundercats was that way for me. Yeah, Thundercats <laughs> doesn't hold up. I love Transformers. You can probably see I have a couple here and I can't really watch the original Transformers cartoon either. Uh, Beast Wars is tight though. But yeah, Lauren and I have, well, Lauren had never seen She-Ra before the show. I feel like She-Ra holds up pretty well, um, but maybe we'll find some things in this episode. But can I make a request that we buck the trend and talk about what we liked first? Because I think we're, at least Lauren and I are in kind of a salty mood today. Yes. So when, when we get to the bad stuff, it's just going to pile on. So let's start with the good I will say, though, episode. that this was an awesome excuse to go back and watch She-Ra because I don't think I would have done it otherwise. Yes. And that made me really happy. That's good. I know some people are watching along at home, too, and that's really cool. That makes me happy as well. Yeah, I, I, I really pressured a lot of my friends into listening to the show, and that means I've also pressured them into watching She-Ra. So we're all in this together. Yeah. So good things about Huntara. There are some, right? Uh, I actually, I, I do like this episode, except for the one big thing that we're going to talk about. Um, in the opening, I like how it expands the scope of She-Ra so much by having Hordak look off planet for a bounty hunter. Like even, I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago, you weren't sure if the Horde was just like one world or like an empire. Right. This is the first episode where we hear, well, where I have heard about Horde Prime and the Horde Empire and Horde Planet. So apparently Horde Blank is the naming convention, mm -hmm. Horde <laughs> which world. makes sense yeah. because if you're calling yourself Horde, hopefully you're not just limited to one small thing. It yeah. should be many Legion. It is bizarre that the leader of the horde that we follow is Hordak. That you know, <laughs> but whatever. Somewhere else, there's like Hordon and Hordo. <laughs> Hordo, yeah. And of course, the beautiful Hordina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just one, of course. Yeah, the Hordo's okay, the, the one who has a pile of junk in his apartment <laughs> and can't let it go. <laughs> I will say, I was very taken by the art right at the beginning of this episode the sort of sweeping views of the fright zone um i'm not sure 
I'd gotten to really look at that in my viewing of the of the series yet either. And I love that very like 80s style where clearly somebody drew just a big landscape and then we just sort of pan around it. Not only is it like super beautiful, but it's a very efficient way to animate. <laughs> Also, the character design for Hartara herself is really, really fantastic. She looked, I mean, she just looks very cool. And then I was looking this up and it turns out that it really was modeled after Grace Jones. Mm -hmm. And you can tell, I mean, she just is, stands really tall, statuesque. She has that kind of frame that Grace Jones does and a really lovely presence. Yeah. And there was a comment made about her that, uh, she, quote, doesn't look like a member of the Horde. And I would say she doesn't look like a member of anything in this universe. Nothing that we've seen. Yeah, yeah. she's, you know, really stands alone in her style choices. Just in general, I, I felt like the um, art and animation in this episode was pretty stellar. Uh, the um, director, Tom Tataranowitz, has said that this is his favorite episode of She-Ra. Um, it was storyboarded, this is really interesting, by Vicky Jensen, which A, a woman working on She-Ra, unfortunately rare, and B, she went on to direct Shrek and A Shark's Tale. So this woman like had a huge career, and this was her episode. But yeah, I think there's a lot of great art in here. Um, the campfire that like casts shadows on the rebellion, or... Um, when Huntara does that like crazy somersault in the final fight scene, like it, this was a like, there's a lot of care put into the design of this episode. So I see in that sense why it's a favorite for sure. Uh, so my husband doesn't normally watch the show with me, and he he still doesn't. He usually just peeks in when he uh, hears it on to come in and like make a comment and then run out of the room again. And he saw the end of the episode and heard Swiftwind's voice for the first time. I have not heard him laugh like that in ages. And his quote was, not only does that unicorn talk, but that's what it sounds like. And I got I got to tell him... Uh, that, you know, there's three voice actors on this show and they're just doing their best, man. They've only got so many voices they can do, which is kind of, I think, the maybe the issue with Huntara as well, who has that smoker's growl. I actually had to look that up because I was like, there is no way this is getting voiced by a lot of different actors because all the voices are so over the top. We're going to be really, really high for this one and really, really low for this one. Like, So fun fact, there's like three real actors on this show. I think there's Melindy Britt who does like Adora, Shira, Catra. There's uh, Linda Gary who's like Shadow Weaver, Tila, Sorceress, Glimmer. And then there's George Desenzo, who's like Hordak, Bo, etc. And then the head of the production company is a voice actor under an assumed name because he doesn't have to pay himself. 
uh, or so he could take payment. I'm not, there's some labor law there. And then his daughter is a voice actor who also, I believe, doesn't have to get paid. Um, she is Huntara. Boy, she her voice kind of ruins this character for me a little bit, I gotta say. So I guess I, I think we're finally here. We have to talk about... Are we Are we on it? Yeah, okay. here we are at Huntara. So why are we talking about race with this episode? Well, Don already said it. Uh, Huntara pretty clearly modeled after Grace Jones, right? Specifically the character of Mayday. In View to a Kill, yes. Yeah. Um, a, a mix between that and Aurora Monroe from the X-Men, so Storm. Um, this was written into the script by Larry Dottilio, who writes like all of these episodes. He wrote the troll ones. He's really interested in like race relations. So it turns out, according to Larry, he specifically wrote this episode to bring a black character to She-Ra because there was a deficiency. Well, guess what though? You've seen the episode. Huntara's not black, is she? Well, not she's visually. Purple. She's purple. <laughs> so somewhere between with, the script and the storyboard. Black features. Yes. Somewhere between script and storyboard, Filmation decided to make her purple. So the author of my Dark Horse book here says it's to avoid litigation from MGM. Larry thinks it's because they wanted to avoid any sensitive racial issues. I don't know what's true, but I, we've kind of talked about this before, and I think this is the episode we're going to do it head on. She-Ra's biggest problem, and it's a problem with a lot of fantasy, but specifically with She-Ra, is that it is so bad at diversity. So bad at it. Everybody's very white. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. It's almost one of those things that I notice but don't notice. I notice more when you actually do have diversity on the screen because, oh, there's people that look like me or at least people who are not just, you know, super, super pale. But that's such a standard of what we expect in fantasy these days that it almost makes more of an impact when it's not that. And I love it when that happens. And there's kind of a way in which fantasy in particular cheats representation, right? Because you can point to a show like She-Ra and say, oh, look, there's all kinds of people. There's little... There's a scorpion lady. Yeah, a cat lady. <laughs> there's little twiggets that live in the woods. There's trolls. orcs, trolls. Uh, and now there's a purple lady who looks like Grace Jones. And yet none of those are real life diversity. Every time you have a humanoid person who looks like you could see them walking down the street. They're a white person. There's always this uncomfortable thing in science fiction where everybody seems very okay putting a character who's blue or who's green on the screen. And we're not really okay with putting an Asian on the screen. We get all up in arms if there's a black person on the screen. Aliens are somehow okay, though. Right. And I feel like, from what Eric's telling us, they came so close to making a sensitive choice by being like, gosh... This sure isn't a good or fair representation of a person of color. But the choices they made based on that were not to write a better character, put more diversity into the show. The choice they made was, I think, to leave a clunky and sometimes offensive script together and we're just like it's okay though she's purple. I'm of two minds about whether it was better or worse for her to be purple. So on the one hand... There is that really weird thing that I'm always going off in about science fiction, right? Of putting in colors and being okay with like blue. But on the other hand, if that character had been black on screen, at the very end of the episode, she's offering herself to be a slave. Yeah. <laughs> and that is incredibly awkward, particularly if you have somebody who's black on screen. Right. I mean, we went physically with tall, muscular, almost tribal warrior 
And then we end with, I think, the most uncomfortable scene I've seen in Shira, which is exactly that. Not only, I mean, there was, there's layers to that scene that I'm freaked out by. So first, she offers herself as a slave. Gross, like, full stop. But there's this weird, like, Shira says only evil people keep slaves, and yet no one ever says, like, and you don't have to be a slave. It's it's almost like it's a good and honorable thing for this character to offer herself up to slavery. But gosh, we're so great that we would never accept. But there's no like, there's no reassurance of Huntara that like, you don't have to live that way. It's sort of seen as like, well, that's just her way, that giant purple warrior lady. And I just left that whole scene biting my bottom lip until it bled like, oh, God. Well, and then if she is the only person who ends up being black in, you know, most of the series, that also becomes a problem when she's very, very gullible. Um, when you only have one character who is any particular race, you sort of end up making that character the representation of all things, which becomes a problem when that character's not perfect, or sometimes even when they are perfect, because then they're too perfect. And what, like Asians aren't allowed to have flaws, black people are not allowed to have flaws. Um, but it, it puts so much weight on this one character to have to bear all the things. And Huntara's character is really, really naive. She's very easily taken in. And then it's also strange because she's this incredible warrior who doesn't actually fight. She just throws smoke bombs, essentially. Right. I even started questioning that. Like, what are we supposed to get out of the fact that she's sort of tricky and ha like has traps and is dodges actual fights? I'm like, none of this is good for me. And it's exactly as you say. She is the only representative of whether we're talking people of color or Silaxians. All, all of what we know about this person and who their who their race who their is. Their greatest warrior yeah. apparently is <laughs> yeah, there it throws is. smoke bombs. I'm gonna guess some of that is just to avoid. Dude, FCC. I know that there were there were regulations in place where they weren't allowed to fight, but the choices that they made for how to handle that were very questionable. I think there was there's also something to be said about how other characters relate to her, and so we have. The very obvious white squad, the white girls of the Horde, basically get in a car and follow her around. And there was something like disturbing, but also gratifying about that. Yeah, like, that seems knowing, right? Yeah. Like it seems intentional that like Catra and Scorpia, who normally hate each other, teamed up to like mean girls this other and they even oh they refer to her as an outsider like that's the word that they use right well and the the consequence on paper is if Huntara succeeds the rest of the hordesmen are going to be you know cleaning up garbage and staying staying on lockdown but I thought it was a very intentional choice you know Mantena didn't hop in a car <laughs> and go after this oh, only woman. the women did right yeah, yeah the white women yeah incidentally not the wild colored aliens at all yeah I feel and like not, they were not shadow weaver whose race is indiscriminate <laughs> because she is a shadow
to go back to something you said a few minutes ago, you feel that the problem is not necessarily that Hantaro was turned purple, but just kind of how in general the character was written. You did not appreciate. Well, I mean, it's all of the above, right? It's it's the thought that, well, now that she's purple, this must not be offensive, but we didn't remove any of the stereotypes from her appearance to her uh, gullibility, slavery, and the way the other characters react to her. And I mean, there's even a stereotype about, you know, actually, I feel like this gets applied to a lot of characters who are not white is just that they are tricksy in whatever the way is. Yeah, that tricksy other. And so they I feel like they didn't hide their tracks at all. Like if that if, if the if what your book says is we thought we were removing racism, like bad job, very bad job. I don't think Larry thought he was going to eliminate racism. I think he just wanted representation. And I don't think the Dark Horse Comics guys who wrote this book, I don't know if they're trying to avoid it as well they just thought it was purely a legal issue like oh it's grace jones we can't have it be grace jones but that doesn't really make sense to me because if the animators can make her skin purple they can also change her design a little bit to make her not exactly mayday yeah and there were other things that were mayday-esque too even the sort of veil that came on and off was reminiscent of the costume from the james bond films and so if that were the actual reason there was other things they could have done meeting you with a view to a so uh, to get back to sort of some of the over the greater overarching themes of the show, uh, I do want to touch on fake news because uh, fake news, well, a hot sort of term under the Trump presidency, we were dealing with that in the internet age, even before he was our president. The incident that I'm thinking of specifically is when uh, that like radical pro-life group took video footage from Planned Parenthood and spliced things together out of context to convince people that Planned Parenthood was selling uh, fetus tissue and essentially dead babies to make it really frightening sounding Uh, and people to this day believe that about Planned Parenthood and abortion facilities now because some people spliced together footage to make their point and support their point with falsitudes. I think the problem with fake news has been around I mean far longer even than that there have always been people who create you know scandals and all these sorts of things that just aren't real. It seems like with the current presidency and maybe the internet has just allowed these things to go further faster, you know, like before something might get printed in a tabloid, but you had a little bit more gatekeeping maybe, or your aunt would say something and you could retort back at that. I used to get a lot of email forwards from relatives that, you know, everybody has those, right? Hopefully most of us ourselves, I mean, I remember sending those around when I was much, much younger, and then you get you get over it. But I still have relatives who send that sort of thing, and it's very quick to just do a Google search and find out these things are not true. Right, but in this day and age, I think kind of to your point, you can also just do a Google search and find someone who agrees with you. And right, therefore, you have to not just read the very top thing. Yeah, you, you don't have to, have to change learn your how mind. to think. You have to learn how to think critically, and it, it feels like maybe that's a thing that 
I don't know if we're worse at doing that now or if it just seems like we're worse at doing that now because news travels so quickly. Yeah, I don't know about worse at it, but it is comfortable and rewarding to be told you're right. And so, you know, every racist Photoshop of President Obama, you know, in a turban that someone forwarded you in your inbox, if you weren't a fan of his, what a wonderful reinforcement of your political opinions like why would you go and try to correct yourself the thing that i wonder in terms of the if if things have changed for for people not really recognizing when something is fake is i have a lot of friends who are uh, college professors and who you know teach students at that that level one of them a few years ago i remember him saying that he was teaching a class full of i think they were freshmen but it was a philosophy class And the thing that concerned him was not that this was happening in the class in general, but that it was his smart students, the ones that he would have hoped would be able to figure out whether something felt satirical or not, who were really not getting it. And that's a little disturbing to me. I mean, I expect to generally have a spectrum, but when you have even the kids that you think should understand the difference, not getting it, I kind of wonder if we're we're failing the next generation somehow. Yeah, maybe. And I mean, doesn't it make a person feel smart and savvy if they feel like they're the arbiters of the secret conspiracy, you know, like, I really know what's going on. I'm the smartest person in the room. I mean, it's very easy to prey on those desires. Uh, it's it's odd to me, I guess not odd, odd's the wrong word, but Donald Trump was the like spokesperson for the birther movement when President Obama was in office, which, I mean, is the definition of fake news. And so now after having fanned the fire of creating fake news for basically eight years to now turn around and say he's the victim of it. Uh, I'm so surprised that so many people are buying into that narrative. So I have only one more quote written on my notes, and it's kind of funny that I'm I'm saying who's the idiot, I guess, because uh, when this fake news is created by Hordak... The hordesmen themselves say, I thought we were the evil ones. And I think that's hilarious because... That was my favorite moment. Yeah, well, to me, villains, the whole point of a good villain is that the villain thinks they're the hero of the story. Like Scar, my favorite Disney villain of all time, truly thinks he'd be the best king ever. He goes about like murderous horrors to get there but he really feels like he's been wronged and he's gonna turn this kingdom around uh but the horde is like now we're evil that's us Man, Lookie was hard to find in this episode. I know. Even when they showed it at the end, it took me a few <laughs> seconds. Lookie was a tricky one, just like Huntara. So in this episode, Lookie says, In today's story, Hordak thought he could beat Shira by telling Huntara lies. But it didn't work. Lies seldom do. Somehow the truth always comes out, and then it's big trouble. 
So save yourself that trouble and always tell the truth. I wish that was real. Right. We kind of talked about that already. Our president just like tweets something and then says that he didn't. And he's still the president. And the truth has come out. Yeah, Come on, man. This is an aspirational moral. Like, it's a good lesson that doesn't really work. But it would be nice if it did. I want to live in that world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a good thing to attempt to teach kids. Yeah. And I say this all the time. Uh, I'm the elder sister of two. I was an incredibly rule-abiding child. I really thought my parents knew everything uh, that I was going to get busted. And so I would listen to a lesson like that from Milky and be like, man, I know my parents would, would know right away if I was lying. Only when my little sister came along did I realize I could have gone a lot further and gotten away with a lot more. But I think at the time, I would have been like, man, look, you are right. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, though, this is the kind of thing, like, same with me. I, I lived in a pretty strict house, and I I definitely would have taken this lesson and been like, yes, this is truth. I can't lie ever. And I still, like, I try to carry out my day-to-day in a way that is not um, duplicitous. Although sometimes, you know, lies are not necessarily the worst thing um, in the service of a greater good. I know that sounds horrible, but sometimes, like, in a business setting or something, you can't tell the absolute truth. But you also shouldn't deceive people to get them to do what you want. That's not nice. I was just having a conversation with someone yesterday where I was saying that I have learned over my life not to be so blunt, which is totally the opposite thing that you are taught in terms of, you know, again, gender essentialism. Um, I, I My tendency is to want to be very blunt and very direct, and that doesn't go over so well. So I've had to learn how to, to say things more tactfully, or maybe sometimes just to hold it in and not say it at all. Uh, there was once a a guy who had a crush on me for whatever reason, like had built up this whole thing about really needing to give me something. And he wanted to go on a date with me for Valentine's day. And I said, I wasn't interested. And he said, well, I already bought you this thing. Can I just give it to you anyway? Because it would be a shame if you didn't have it. He built up this whole thing. And I said, okay, you can give it to me, I guess, if you want, but understand that there is nothing here. We're just friends. But since you've already bought it, if you want to hand it off to me, that's fine. So he comes over and he gave me this gigantic uh, plush Hershey's Kiss, which is, if you know me at all, the opposite of a thing that I would like. And he thought that he knew me really, really well. And so I I would think this is great. The first thing that just came to my my mouth was just the thing that I thought. So there was no filter. I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? Oh, my God. (laughs) And then I felt really bad and tried to recover. Um, but yeah, is that is that? Are you saying that's a time you should feelings. have lied? That is a time I should have said very graciously, "Thank you," and then let him leave, as opposed to just saying, "What am I supposed to do with this?" Because he clearly felt a little bad about that afterwards, and I didn't want him to feel bad. This is like a direct callback to the moral from Seahawk, which is, "If you like somebody, tell them." That's what Lucky says. These are the kind of the same moral in two different circumstances, and I think that's a great circumstance for like. Maybe you aren't always a hundred percent forthcoming with romantic feelings. Like, I mean, I think it's very good to say I have no interest in you, and to be yes, very, very clear about certainly. that from the beginning. But if somebody gives you a gift, it's generally, you but know, good manners to even, just say thank you. Even like from that guy's <laughs> perspective of like, after you were like, no, I'm good, he probably could have taken a step back and been like, okay, I don't need to explain why you have to have this gift. Like, I can walk away and let that just be right. Like. I don't know him, but just hypothetically, he could have done that. I, I know this sounds like I'm doing a bit. I really don't know who this guy is. 
Everyone at home like thinks that it's me. I buy good presents. So uh, the tradition then is, if you could write the moral for this episode, what would it be? I think I wouldn't phrase it about lies per se. I would phrase it in terms of trust but verify. Don't just believe something that somebody tells you, which is the other end of why the lies come out or don't come out. It's because people believe them or don't. I'm a huge fan of even in my Facebook posts, filling them with citations because I'm that person. Yeah, I mean, someone's going to demand them from you anyway, so you might as well just put them up front. Yeah, I feel like if Shira was released today, they would find some way to embed um, com- like citation comments in the YouTube channel, like for Lookie's morals. At least I would hope so. Boy, that would be great. Lookie, you got to do your research, man. Thanks for listening to She-Ra Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'd super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or as a comment on our podcast page at progressiveofpower.wordpress.com. Representation in media is so important. One group of podcasts that includes a wide spectrum of voices is Post Loudness, a collective of independent audio shows by people of color, women, and queer-identified hosts. Shows in the collective address topics such as growing up, finance, feminism, and robots. Enjoy their whole catalog at postloudness.com. For the honor of love.